demolished the temple of the Lord, as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and, and the palace. Then one night, the Lord appeared so to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or common command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send pl plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do bless your name this morning. We count it a privilege, Lord, to be together as one. We have come to hear your word, O oh Lord, and to hear you speak to us. So, Father, take these lips of clay and do what only you can do. Use me, Lord. I'm just a tool in your hand. You know exactly where every person is and what every person needs for the moment. And so, Lord, I greatly decrease that your spirit in me might increase. Father, speak to your people. Our ears are open to what the spirit of God has to say to us. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We have begun a series last week dealing with effective prayer. And so we, last week, uh, just to do a recap for those of you who are not here, we talked about praying in the will of God and how important it is that we understand that the will of God is the foundation for our prayers. We talked about how that God does not exist. Uh, to be our kind of our, our, our bellhop where he kind of give us whatever we want when we want it. That our goal as children of God is to seek his face and seek to do his will. All prayers that are prayed in the will of God, he says that he hears those prayers. We talked about how that the prayers of the righteous availeth much. And that the church, that we need to value and love prayer because the Bible says it accomplishes a lot. We talked about persevering in prayer. How many of you have ever felt like giving up in your prayers? We talked about the importance of persevering, not giving up when you pray, because how many know that God does not work on our time schedule? God works from eternity where there is no time. And so we talked about the importance of persevering not giving up in prayer. And today, we're going to deal with hindrances to prayer. Our most important spiritual discipline is prayer. We talk a lot about that here in the life of our church, the importance of making sure that prayer is a daily part of our life. Oftentimes, when we talk about prayer, we tend to think of it and capture prayer in a moment of time. 
What I mean by that is we think of prayer as, okay, I, get, I said my prayer this morning, and now I'm on my way. And, or I said my prayer last night, or I said it at dinner, and now I'm on my way. But when we talk about prayer, we're talking really about an attitude whereby we're praying and communicating to God on a regular basis. How do we know God loves you? He wants to hear from you on a, on, a, on a regular basis all throughout the day as you're dealing with life problems, as you're, you're going through, as you're driving to the store, or as you're going into the supermarket, as you're out on the football field like I am with my son. God wants to hear from us. And so when we begin to understand that, that prayer is really, it, it's, our, it's our communicating with the one who loves us and that God wants to do great things on our behalf. But what we must recognize is that there are some hindrances to prayer. How many of you have ever prayed and, about something and, and, and it, didn't get, it didn't get answered? And you wondered and thought to yourself, why, why didn't God move? Why, why didn't, I mean, I pray to some of the prayers that we pray. I mean, we, we pray them with all of our hearts, and we pray them with all of our souls, and we pray them with everything that is in us, and we believe that we're, that we're doing the right thing, but sometimes there are hindrances, things that nobody ever talk about, that, that we either have missed or have not understood. And so what we want to do is we want to remove the hindrances. How many of you want your prayers answered when you pray? You want to know that when you get on your knees and when you pray, when you talk to God, you want to know for certain that what I'm praying and talking to God about, that I know he hears me. And so we're going to talk about things this morning that, that we're going to remove the hindrances in order so our prayers can flourish. And so we got nine hindrances to prayer. So if you got your pen and pencil, I want you to write this morning. Uh, we're going to be going right through the word of God. We got some scriptures for you. Uh, we like to teach you the word. We want you to go back and look over these things yourself. And so are you ready? Now, this is kind of like a test. So at the end, I'm going to ask you, what are the nine hindrances to prayer? So make sure that you're ready. Amen? The first hindrance to prayer is a lack of intimacy with the Father. A lack of intimacy with the Father. One of the things about prayer is prayer is really based in relationship. I want to say that again. Prayer is based in relationship with God, our Father. The more that we spend time talking to God, pursuing his will and, 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 and learning his ways, the more intimate we will become. Do you hear me? And so the whole thing of prayer is it's about relationship. It's about you and me understanding the heart of God, understanding the mind of God. What is it that moves God? How, how do you know that the house that you're getting ready to buy, or the person that you're getting ready to marry, or, or wherever you're getting ready to move, how do you know if those things are the will of God? You know them and you develop them through an intimate relationship where you're constantly communicating and you're pursuing God all the time. And how many know that doesn't just happen overnight? You have to discern, you have to learn how to hear the voice of God. And so prayer at its core is about relationship. I used the analogy last week that my wife and I, we're intimate. So, so therefore, my wife, I know a lot of things about my wife before she even tells me. How do I know that after 21 years of marriage? I know she said something about the stress thing earlier, so I hope it hasn't been that stressful for her. Uh, I hope. 
But how do, I, how, do, how do I know my wife is because I communicate with her. I talk to her. And let me tell you, it took a little while. But, my, but, but as I begin to understand her, to know her heart, to know her mind, there are certain things I will not request of her. There are certain things I will not ask because I already know before I ask what the answer is probably going to be. It's the same way with God. See, the whole thing with God, it's about understanding what is it that God wants. And how you're going to understand God is you got to seek his face. You got to spend time in his presence. You got to pursue his will. You got to read his word. Everybody say his word. That's how you're going to discover it. And so the more you do that, the more refined you become. And so it's no wonder why the enemy wants to keep us off of our knees. He wants to keep you from praying. When you have problems, we have trials and tribulations, sometimes we have, we have, it, we have it in ourselves to, to either disconnect or try to figure it out on our own. But the Bible says that he is a present help. Everybody say present. Present, present help in time of need. That means God want to help us. Now, Jesus said it this way. I just want to give you some insight. Jesus was 100% God, but he's also 100% man. And here's what Jesus said that he, he said when he was on earth. He was, everything that Jesus did, he did as a pattern. He wanted us to follow him. He said, in fact, greater works will you do because I'm going to the Father. And so he was our example. Now listen to what Jesus did. Listen to what Jesus said. He says in John chapter 4, you, have, you can just write this down because we don't have a lot of time to, to look all of them up. But in John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. Jesus was consumed with doing the will of the Father. Nothing else was more important to him than to discovering what it is that God wanted for his life. Jesus said also in John chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you that the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do for whatever he does, the Son does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. So Jesus was communicating that he doesn't do anything unless he sees his Father do it. Well, how are you going to come to that place? you got to know him. So Jesus was very, very intimate with his father. The Bible says in Mark 1.35 that now in the morning, having risen a long while before day, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. Jesus made sure that he made time to be with God. I know I hear sometimes people say, well, Pastor, I just don't, I don't have time because I'm just so busy. You know, yeah, I got this and that to do. But, but can I remind you of something? Who is in charge of your breathing? We, it, when I, when, you are never too busy for God. If you are that busy, you are too busy. Because, listen to me, you can't live this Christian life. We can't do the things that God wants us to do, live the way he wants us to live, without communicating with him and spending time in his presence. A God who wants to help us, a God who wants to talk to us, a God who wants to communicate with us. Jesus said, I don't do nothing unless I see my father do it. Is that your testimony today? Is that your testimony? Can you say emphatically that I don't want to do nothing unless God tells me to do it? It's about intimacy. Second point, another hindrance to prayer 
prayers being answered is wrong motives. Wrong motives. Look at James chapter number four, if you will. I want you to turn quickly with me. James chapter number four. We're going to begin reading in verse number one. I want you to listen to this. This is very, very important. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, the war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not what? Ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss or with wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasures. How many know that motives are very, very important when it comes to the things of God? The Bible says that God looks on our hearts. And God knows exactly why we're doing what we're doing, even before it ever comes into our minds, because he's God. And so sometimes our motives are wrong, or if our motives are wrong, it is going to hinder our ability to get our prayers up to God. In other words, in other words, we got to begin asking ourselves, why is it that I want this car? Why is it that I'm doing what it is I'm doing? Why is it that I want what I want? Is, what, what are my motives? You see, the thing, if you really want to get into sync with God in your prayer life, it is discovering what's really important to God. I want to give you an example. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 3 real quick. Now, when I get there, I'm just going to keep rolling because so for those of you who don't have your, your Bibles, you can look up on the screen. 1 Kings chapter 3. Now, listen to this. Solomon. Solomon got what I call uh, one of those when God came and visited him. I mean, it was one of those kind of things that uh, uh, you know, when God shows up at the foot of your bed and say, ask, tell me what you want, I'll give it to you. How I many know that's, you know, God owns quite a bit. <laughs> and when God says, ask what you want, I'll give it to you. That's pretty significant. And one would think that if God asks, I mean, all of us, you know, we have things in our minds and our brains that if God was to ask us, tell me what you want, I'll give it to you. What would you say? I want you to think about that for a moment. If God said to you, what do you want? What would you say? Some of us would say, well, Started, I need more money. Some of us will say, well, I need a bigger house. Some of us, I need, I need a car. Some of us will come up with, 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 with all kinds of things that we need. But I want you to listen to what Solomon prayed. And I want you to keep in mind, you know, Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Now watch this. Now look at this in 1 Kings chapter number 3. I'm sorry. Yes, I say chapter 3, verses 3 through 14. And Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statues of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for, the, for that was a great high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Verse 5, at Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon, and watch this, in a dream by night, and God said, ask what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to set on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, 
but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. Listen to Solomon's prayer. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous uh, to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. And verse 10, the speech what? Said it, let's say it nice and loud. The speech what? Okay, that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies. I mean, you got some enemies that you like God to take care of, but have asked for yourselves understanding to discern justice. Watch this. Behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise, any arise like you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings of all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandment as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. What is significant about that verse? Solomon prayed. He didn't pray for stuff about himself. His motive was, I want to help God's people. Now, why is this important? Because sometimes we get it backwards, right? We seek the stuff instead of seeking God's will. And, and when Solomon prayed, which it was, was his motive, was not to ask of anything for himself, but Solomon's prayer was, God, I just want to lead your people. How many know that's important to God? How many know, and we need to discover what is important to God. And, 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 and the Bible says that not only did God say, I'm going to give you wisdom, but how many know when God gives you something, God really gives it to you? He said, Solomon, I'm going to make you the wisest man that ever walked the planet. But he said, I'm going to take it a step further than that. You, did not, you didn't ask for stuff, but I'm going to give you everything you didn't even ask me for. Why? Because Solomon was concerned about the things that God was concerned about. So we need to ask ourselves, why do we ask God for what we ask? Is what I'm asking God for somehow is connected back to the kingdom? You following with me? Are you following me? We need to ask ourselves, and whatever I'm asking God for, how does this help further the kingdom of God? Because it's there that we will find that God will hear. The Bible says, this prayer, please God. Please. How I many you want to please God? Then our motives need to be to please him and to seek to do his will. Well, number three, the third hindrance to prayer is an unforgiving spirit. Now, I know you're saying, Pastor, where do you get that from? An unforgiving spirit? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't even fit. Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn to Mark chapter number 11. You all are quiet today. Can you smile or say something or like say amen every now and again? Um, I'm, I'm like one of those pastors. I like feedback. Um, you, know, I, you know, the more you say amen, the better I preach. Amen. amen. There we go. There we have it there. An unforgiving spirit. Now, look at Mark chapter 11, verse 24 through 25. Therefore, I say to you, watch this. This, this is amazing. This is Jesus talking. He says, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, all right, 
Believe that you receive them and you will what? Have them. Now, now watch this. Don't stop there. But in, in the next verse, it doesn't even seem like it fits, right? Because he just kind of throws this in there. But watch this. And whenever you stand praying, whenever you stand doing what? Praying. Watch this. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Matthew 6.15 says, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, what's interesting here is somehow that Jesus connects asking of him, asking things from him, he connects that to forgiving those who've offended us. He said, now, when you stand praying, by the way, when you pray, Here's what we need to do. You need to forgive. How many of you got stuff you want God to forgive you for? I know some people say, well, I will never forgive that person for what they did to me. I'm sorry. I can't do that. Can I say to you that here, here's what I learned about God. That the very thing that usually, you know how we got our little corners where we don't want God to touch certain areas. We can be doing everything right. But here's what I figured out about God. God is one, you know, God is kind of smart. He's bright. He's intelligent. I, I know I, I, it's, a, it's an understatement, but I figured that would get your attention. But here's what God does. God always put his finger on the very thing that you don't want him to touch. Do you hear me? Well, I, Lord, I'm giving. I'm serving. I'm doing well in the church. I mean, God, I'm on the mission field. I'm, God, I'm doing great things. I'm treating my wife right. I'm doing all the right stuff. But, you know, I, I do hate sister so-and-so, but you'll let me. You, God, God, you, you can deal with that. No, no. God will put his finger. As soon as you start praying, the first thing that will come to your mind is you need to get that right. Mm, mm, somebody say, ouch. You see? God always go back, watch this, he always put his finger on the stuff that you don't want him to touch. Why? Because he loves you that much. Because an unforgiving spirit, the Bible talks about in Hebrews, a root of bitterness and how it can defile many of us. And there are people, even believers, may I add, who think it's okay to walk around and not forgive people. Let me tell you something. You ought to forgive because if you don't, then your Bible says, now I, I want to see, because I, I know you may be tempted to say it's an interpretation problem, but let me just see how can you interpret this. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Did anybody not understand that? <laughs> that's not, you know, I'm amazed how people say, well, that's the way you interpret that. Really? <laughs> how, how else do I interpret that? So an unforgiving spirit will hinder our prayer life. So we can't, and so if you got somebody that, that you just don't like, I mean, I'm talking, you just, you cannot forgive them. And I know, and, and I know sometimes that, 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 you know, people have done some horrific things out there. I understand that. But Jesus did not say forgive only particular sins. He says forgive, period. If it does nothing else, it sets you free. Amen? All right. Number four, we got, we got to go to number nine. Okay, number four, worry. Worry is another hindrance to prayer. Look at Philippians chapter number four. Get there real quick. Philippians chapter number four. I like this verse. This is, this is a verse you should remember all the time. Starting in verse number six, he says, be anxious. 
Don't be worried. Don't be troubled. For nothing. Anybody know what nothing means? Nothing means what? But in everything, something. Is that what it says? Everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Watch this. Look at verse number seven. And how many want God's peace? Here it is. And the peace of God. Hallelujah. Which surpasses all understanding. You know, God will give you the kind of peace that you can't even figure out that will blow your mind. Peace in the midst of the storm. Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So watch this now. So, so why is it that, you know, worry is one of those things that, you know, worry and faith can't occupy the same territory, right? Because how many know when you get worried, worry has a, a tendency to, to consume you. You ever been really troubled and worried about something? When you're really troubled and worried, how much do you really focus on prayer? When worry take over your brain, I mean, you, if you pray, it's very brief. Because, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray you real quick, but I got to get back because worry is like right over in the corner and it's keep bugging me. I need to hook up with worry. You know, the Bible says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Who has Whose responsibility is it to not let not your heart be troubled? Yours. So if you're worried today, it's because you open the door and you like it. Now, I just messed somebody's theology all up. I mean, you're just like, oh, my gosh. If you're worried, it's because you like it. Let's just be honest. I feel very comfortable, Pastor, worrying about the problem because somehow, some way, in my, in my twisted way of thinking, perhaps worry can help me fix it. So when we are consumed with worry, our prayer life is, is, is diminished. Because the Bible says effective, fervent. We talked about the word fervent last week. Fiery, hot, emotional prayers availeth much. And it's hard to be that way when you're consumed with the problem. You remember Jesus walking on the water. Peter said, Lord, bid me come. Bid me, let me come walk with you. And Peter was walking, can you imagine that? Peter was walking on the water. But when he was walking on the water, who was he looking at? And the minute he saw those big waves, what happened? Some of you know your Bible. He went down. See, but we got to recognize that Jesus is the author and the finisher and the perfecter of our faith. So when we need not be worried about anything, listen, but that's why I like Paul said, look, don't be anxious for nothing. But by everything, by prayer and supplication, talk to God about it. Y'all just need, look, we just need to kick worry out and say, worry, you, you're not welcome here today. Amen. Get out of my house. I'm locking the door. You ain't, don't come knocking. Don't want to bother my family. I'll shoot you. <laughs> we need, we need to, some, we just need to be, listen, stop worrying. You know, God, God, did not design, God did not design us to be worried about stuff. He said, look, when you, when, the minute you said you start worrying, that's your time to just drop right on your knees. Okay, God, here I am. I'm going to give this all to you because right now this thing is trying to jump on my back, and I don't want that to happen. I'm not going to let it happen. <sighs> Number five, 
Here's another one, another hindrance to prayer. How many of you are married out there? Raise your hand. Okay, here we go, because you know how to mess with the married couple. Improper husband-wife relationship. In other words, when you're not getting along with your spouse, can hinder your prayer life. Well, I know some of you are saying, well, Pastor, that ain't, where's that in the Bible? Okay, I'm glad you asked. First Peter, so I ask rhetorical questions because you are. So I just follow y'all thinking. See, God just give me insight into y'all brain. And I just figure it out. First Peter chapter number three, verse seven. Watch this. Now, husbands, men, if you're married, say, that's me. Okay, watch this. Likewise, do well with them. You know who them are now, right? You're talking about your wife, talking about your lady, your sidekick, your rib, as some folks like to say. Likewise, do well with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. That, that doesn't mean she's weak. That means she's just delicate. How many know your wives? They're delicate. You got to handle them with care. And all the ladies said, that's right. I got me an audience now. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, watch this, that your what? Prayers may not be what? Hindered. So why look at your husband and say, you better treat me right. Or your prayers won't get answered. <laughs> I mean, that would, I mean, I mean, I mean Pastor, you make a here it is right here. That, that, that your prayers may not be what? Hindered. So, so, so we have a response. Now, now I, don't, I believe this is, this is gender neutral. I believe that this, this applies also to the ladies. How many know we, we need to treat each other right? Well, well, I'm mad at you, and I'm just going to go talk to God. I'm going to have nothing to do with you. Good luck with that prayer. See how far that goes. You know, just in Matthew chapter 18, same principle. Jesus said, if you got ought against somebody, you ought to go to them and get it straight. He says, in fact, get up off, get up off your knees. Don't even come off of your offering until you go first and get that right. How many know that our horizontal relationships affect our vertical relationship with God? So if I ain't right with you, then more than likely I ain't going to be right with him. You hear me? People don't like to hear that because most people like to look. Most people like to have the mountaintop experiences where it's just me and God. Because I'll have to deal with those crazy people. You know, everybody out there crazy except for you. I mean, really, you know, you ever notice that? That everybody else crazy except for you. And that's how we, it just shows how we are, you know. And, and God, <laughs> God always, you know, God always give us these mountaintop experiences. You know, Moses was up there having a good time. The Bible says when Moses came out of the mountain, his face was shining with the radiant glory of God. But as soon as Moses came down, God said, Cool, Moses, you need to go back down there. You need to deal with your people. Oh, I really don't want to go back down there and deal with them. But, you know, we got to deal with relationships. And we got to listen. And, and, and don't think for one moment that we can be wrong in our relationship and there's no connection. There, there's no connection to our prayer life. Husband, if you are mistreating your wife, you talk down to her and you disrespect your wife, understand, save your prayer. Let's go ahead and put a cap on it. Get it right first. That's why the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't go to bed. How many of you, how many of your husband and wife go to bed angry at each other? Don't raise your hand. Don't ever do that. Get it right. Why? Because I got to talk to God in the morning, and I don't want this in the way. Because he says my prayers will be hindered. God said that. Now watch this. Keep going. Number six, I'm not going to belabor this one because we said it before, a lack of persistence. 
is a hindrance to prayer? Because what we do, let me know we're a microwave society. We want everything like yesterday, right? You know, how many of you are praying for some God to move in your life right now? You want something. Raise your hand. I mean, it's okay. Everybody should be wanting something. And in your mind, when should God have answered that prayer? <laughs> you see? My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. My ways are not like your ways. God does not operate according to your time schedule. He never has. He never will. I know you got your iPads, your iPods, you got your phones on your Bible, and everything goes a lot quicker nowadays. But the only problem is God don't use either one of those items. <laughs> I don't believe you're going to go to heaven to an Apple computer. I just don't believe it. <laughs> the iPad 3, the iPhone 5. And then everything goes super duper fast. You get your emails, get everything on the run. But the only problem with that is God ain't never moved with that. God just stays right here. And here's the problem for us. We're so used to having everything right now. We have to tell our kids all the time because for them, they can't ever wait for anything. And let me tell you something. God will always have you sticking around waiting a little bit. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I try to think of a theological way to say that where you would really like it. Uh, God will make you wait. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. I've just been walking in this thing for 20 plus years, and it, it just... He just does. He, I've kind of learned that I've done God with trying to figure you out. I realize because that will drive you absolutely insane. How many of you thought you knew God said something and it just flipped and turned the other way and you're like, oh. All right. So, lack of persistence. Number seven. We got to finish up. Number seven. Another hindrance to prayer is pride. Pride. Look at Matthew chapter 6 real quick. Turn there for me, if you will. I'm going to have to keep rolling. So you're going to have to, if you haven't caught up with me, just act like you're there, and nobody will know the difference. Just flip your pages and stare at the Bible, and then everybody will be like, they got it, even if you don't have it. Amen. Take heed that you do not, watch this. This is the Pharisees. And Jesus, Jesus always, again, he's dealing with the Pharisees who had a lot of issues. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the what? Hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, and that they may have glory from who? Men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable, charitable deed uh, may be done in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you what? Openly. And when you pray, watch this, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues, watch this, and on the corners of the streets, that they may be what? Seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, uh, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you what? Openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Jesus here is addressing a fundamental problem, I think, that's still uh, prevailing even within the church walls today, and that is this thing of pride where it's sometimes, how many know the prayer is not about us? Can I say that again? Prayer is not about us. 
They were standing there praying, and, and, and they, they wanted people to see them and, and see how, you know, uh, our Father, who art in heaven, how be thy name. Look at how wonderful I say this prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Father, give or give us. Ooh, they can pray. That's really sharp. Jesus says, that's your reward. They wanted to be seen and recognized by men. I mean, no, God don't have much to say to a person that's self-righteous. He doesn't. God don't have much to say to a person that is consumed with themselves. How many know we need to have a healthy perspective of ourselves? And uh, you know what a healthy perspective is? That we're nothing without him. How is that for healthiness? How is that for positive thinking? I know that messed some of your theology up right there. We are nothing without him. Everything we are, everything we hope to be, we find in him. Everything. Listen, I'm nothing. You know, I'm just a man. I mean, I'm subject to die any day. You are too. So, so we, we, we approach God with humility. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? Humble people, humble people, humble people. Learn how to humble yourself. Pride will hinder your prayer. God ain't going to hear it. He will not hear a prayer that is based in pride. Number eight. We've got number eight, number nine. We'll be done. Number eight. Here's another hindrance to prayer is doubt. Turn to James chapter number one. Do we have any doubters in the house? Somebody say, yeah. All right, we're going to help you here in a second. James chapter number one. All right, look at this. James chapter number one, verses five through eight. Watch this. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in what? Faith. And with no what? For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Watch this. For, uh-oh, let not that man or woman suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. Wow. Now. Some of you, let's, let's, just clear the, let's just clear the air. When we talk about doubt, the Bible says that God is a rewarder, that we must believe that he is. When we come to him, we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently what? Seek him. Um, the Bible says the just shall live by what? Faith. Now, understand something. When, when it's talking about doubt here, it's not talking about doubt as in, watch this. You know, have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to discover God's will and you're not really sure you know, which way to go on it, but you're seeking the will of God. We're not talking about that. You know, sometimes we have doubts about it. We're not really sure. We're talking about a kind of, we're talking about the kind of doubt that says, well, you know what? I don't know if, um, you know, if I pray, if it's really going to help. I mean, God may show up and help me, but I don't really have any confidence. I mean, you know, really, I've been praying for like two years and God hasn't done anything. So I, I really don't think that nothing's going to happen. Let me know that's not the attitude. That's a doubting heart. But a person of faith says this. Here's a person of faith. So, Lord, I don't know all the answers, 
I don't really know how you're going to provide. I don't really know. I don't understand all the details, but I'm going to trust you anyhow. I'm going to believe, God, that you're going to make a way for me. Some of you are going through some stuff right now. You have no clue how it's going to shape up, how it's going to turn out. But, but if you got faith, your faith says, you know what, Lord, I don't know, really, but I'm going to trust. I know that you're going to make a way for me. You know, you, I, you don't know all the answers. If somebody came and tried to get you to tell them all the details, you wouldn't be able to tell them. You just say, you know what? I know I've taken this thing to God in prayer, and I know he's going to come through for me. I just know. I believe in his word. It's good that you don't know all the details anyway. Because we probably mess it all up. You know, so God don't share everything with you. He just say, look, you just got to trust me. Look at your neighbor and say, trust him. Lastly, but not least, unconfessed sin. I say the worst or the best for last, whichever way you look at it. Unconfessed sin is a hindrance to prayer. Turn to Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 down to verse 3. Isaiah chapter number 59, verses 1 through 3. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that he cannot save. How do we know that God can save? Nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. Watch this. But your iniquities, what? Your what? Have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. Now, let's, let's, let's deal with this for a moment and we got to get out of here. But let me, let me, let me just kind of say this. Um, everybody struggle with something. Amen? Amen? Nobody is perfect in the house of God. I always say, I always tell people they want a perfect church. You know, don't join a perfect church because, because you'll mess it up. With that being the case, we must understand that, yes, God forgives. He's a God of grace. And isn't it good to know that when we sin, God forgives us? I mean, isn't it good to know that, that when we blow it, that we can go to God and God and God say, okay, I'm going to wipe the slate clean. But we cannot underscore the importance of this, that sin will hinder your prayer life. If we are involved in willful sin and disobedience to God, it will hinder our prayer life. Jesus said this way, oh, I'm sorry, that in first, Second Chronicles chapter 7, it's really Jesus speaking ultimately, but 2 Chronicles chapter number 7 is our verse that um, our sister Naomi read at the beginning of this sermon. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear. How many know the church need to get our act together? Sin hinders. There are consequences and God forgives. He's full of grace and all of that. He's merciful. Thank you, Lord, that you are. But we also must recognize that there's a consequence when we willfully disobey God. And we need to understand that one of those consequences is that when we pray, 
God doesn't hear it. That we have unconfessed sin, that we're covering sin, that we're, you know, and, there, and, and, and this is the kind of sin that, 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 that we're determined we're going to do this sin no matter what. We got to hide it, sneak it, do whatever. We're going to do this sin, and I want to keep this thing all to myself. That will hinder your prayer life. Now, we don't need no hindrances to our prayer, right? So if there's some unconfessed sin, then just confess it. Start today. Say, Lord, today I'm getting this right. I'm confessing it. I'm going to get me some help, and I'm moving on. Now, what are the nine hindrances? Number one, lack of intimacy. Number two, number three, number four, number five, mm, number six, number seven, Ooh, number eight, and number nine. Amen. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed.